Hi everyone, I'm Chelsea Brown, and welcome to the Millie Podcast. The more I talk with people, the more I'm hearing the same thing. We're all looking for more meaning and more substance. People want to get away from the scripted reality and get to the heart of each person's story. This podcast is for women who want to rip up the script and explore new ideas, places, and possibilities. Every two weeks, I'll be talking with an inspiring and inspired woman who is creating impact in her community. And more importantly, a woman who can teach us to be ourselves, go after our dreams, and write our own story. I can't wait to share this journey with you. It's time to see the world in a different way. Today, we welcome photographer and educator Stella Johnson to the Millie podcast. was 12 years old. I asked my uh, godparents for a, a camera for uh, Christmas. And there's a picture of me sitting in front of the Christmas tree with a camera. But it always struck me, my grandparents, when I was growing up, the word that um, stuck in my head was horio. And in Greek, it means the village. And they would always talk about their village and what village life was like. And that prompted me to return to villages. And so I used to drive from Boston to Mexico. Stella is passionate and open-hearted, and this shines through her work and her very presence. It was really an adventure. You know, when I first went to Mexico, I would go around with the anthropologists and we would photograph weddings and quinceañeras, and we would sit in the kitchen with the doñas who were cooking, because that was always the best place to be. Her approach to photography is thoughtful and deliberate. My teacher, Constantine Manos, he taught me how to fill a frame and how to make images, although he never spoke to any of his subjects. And I consider anybody I photograph my collaborator, not a subject. And it's a distinction that I need to make because street photographers don't talk to people. They just sort of make a picture that looks good. And I want to get to know people. Stella takes the time to not only get to know her subjects, but also cultivate lifelong relationships with them, whether they're people or places. Yeah, it's like people really helping each other. Those connections last a lifetime. They do. I have so many children all over the world. I don't have any biological children, but I have adopted children everywhere. And I'm a godmother to so many children, literally, figuratively, and otherwise. Stella is widely recognized for her skill and unique vision, from receiving a core Fulbright Scholar grant to having her monograph, El Sol photographs from Mexico, Cameroon, and Nicaragua, published by the University of Maine Press. Stella holds teaching positions at Boston University and Lesley University College of Art and Design, and also leads workshops in locations around the world, including Greece, Cuba, Colombia, Mexico, and most recently in Venice Beach, California. So let's get started and welcome Stella to the show. Welcome, Stella. Hello. 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 Oh, it's so good to hear your voice. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to hear your voice. I'm I, about mine. I just loved meeting you. I've been thinking about it ever since, and I'm so excited for our, our interview today. <laughs> you strike me as this very bald person. Well, you know, every, I start every class by telling my students that I'm nervous, be, the very first class, because I, I literally am. And it really unhinges me until I get to know people. You know, after the first class, I feel great. I've, and I hope that it helps them understand too, because they're nervous also. Mm -hmm. This reminds me of a good place to start, which is purpose. So knowing our purpose and acting on our purpose can often mean two separate things. 
you were able to find yours and act on it. How did that come to be for you? And was it always clear? It, my purpose was never clear to me <laughs> when I first acted on it. No. You know, the story is that I, I think my grandmother ran around with a brownie camera and took pictures of events in our lives and even non-events, just daily life. I think because when she had to leave Greece, fleeing war and hunger as a young child, there were no visual memories except yeah. in her head. They had no photographs. And I think of the Ukrainians leaving now too, you know, without, mm -hmm. they're not able to carry any of that stuff with them. So when I was 12 years old, I asked my uh, godparents for a, a camera for uh, Christmas. And there's a picture of me sitting in front of the Christmas tree with a camera. So flash forward to when I'm um, 17 and I went to Greece with my parents and we got off the plane and standing on the tarmac of the little airport at Mytilini was a woman and her 10-year-old child who was wearing a dress that I owned when I was 10 years old. Wow. And was, yes, these were our cousins and they were greeting us. The woman was a spinning image of my grandmother and the little girl was wearing my dress that my grandmother would, she would send clothes to our cousins every year to Greece. So I saw a spitting image of myself and I, I went to the islands after that and my parents left and, you know, I had a, a very uh, sort of, you know, first world happy vacation, but it always struck me, my grandparents, when I was growing up, the word that um, stuck in my head always was horio and in Greek, it means the village. And they would always talk about their village and what village life was like. But I had no idea. All I could remember was that they said there was no running water and no electricity. And that prompted me to return to villages, but not in Greece, because it's an ordeal to get to Greece, mm -hmm. or it was. <laughs> and so I used to drive from Boston to Mexico. Wow. How long was that drive? Well, you know, three 12-hour days from Boston to the border, and then another two days to Mexico City because you could only drive during the day. But and then another two days to Oaxaca, where I ended up and where I had been living prior to the um, pandemic starting. But and why Mexico? Because it was close. And I had always been going to Mexico and I spoke baby Spanish and I learned it on the street and I started studying it at the university when I was teaching. And I fled the winter in January. I would go with friends. Some would drive with me to the border. Others would um, fly to the border and drive with me into Mexico. So I had this whole, you know, it was really an adventure, you know, and back in those days, I don't think you really you have to be very careful crossing the border in a car these days. And, you know, those are long, long trips, the 12 hour days, but it was fun. And I have no regret. And even then when I was doing it, I was curious about life in the villages, but, you know, it just, I didn't connect the dots that it was my family and it was in the mm. back of my brain, but I didn't connect the dots until a philologist who wrote a friend of mine, a Mexican friend from the university who, um, when I was a Fulbright scholar and he wrote um, an a, a afterward to my book, Al Sol, and he connected the dots. He said, yeah, you know, it was that moment that you saw yourself, you know, again at the airport and then you're replicating that. And then you had that curiosity, like what is life yeah. like? And 
this is the thing, Chelsea, that really, you know, brought it home to me. Yeah, it's like people really helping each other. It's the grassroots. If you want the well cleaned, if you want clean water in your well, you and your cousins and family members have to get together. This is in Nicaragua. And they would um, clean the well. You know, that's they had to all pitch in, you know, I mean, and, and there are rivalries and people don't speak. And, you know, there's all these other things that go on that we have in our communities. But you know what? Here in the U.S., a lot of people don't know their neighbors. Yeah. I happen to know my neighbors. I make a huge effort to know my neighbors. Um, and I, when I rent my house out, I introduce my tenants to the neighbors also. I want everybody to know each other. And I think it's so important. And that's what I learned from all of this. You know, did I know what I was doing? No, I didn't. Let me just say that right out there. I didn't, but I learned to understand it. You know, I was a commercial and uh, editorial photographer in Boston and I would take off a month in January. It was kind of like after the holidays. And well, I would also go for the holidays. So I'd have the two weeks before, you know, Christmas and New Year's, there was no work. And then two weeks after that, yeah, and fleeing the cold. I think what we really learned, you know, and I learned in these villages, people came to understand, well, not all Americans are the same, you know, I mean, we're not all, you know, rich and fat and mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and when I told them about my roots, you know, that my grandmothers, you know, ate dandelions, you know, that's how they yeah. survived in Greece before they fled, you know, wow. and when I was in elementary school in Belmont, Massachusetts, right next door to Cambridge, my grandmother one day went to the elementary backyard where I was in class and she started picking dandelions and one child uh, screamed out the window, look, there's a witch, there's a witch. It was grandmother, but she was dressed in black because she was in mourning forever because one of my uncles had died. And I had to go home and ask my parents to please tell my grandmother to not go to school and pick dandelions while we're in session. <laughs> you have to imagine that. And now I'm so humiliated by that Aww. idea. You know, because of course it was so normal to her. Yeah, they were you know, delicious. I would love to know more about her. You know, um, she had a tough life, right? You know, uh, it's not a happy story. If you want to hear it, I'm happy to tell you. I would love to hear it. She uh, had, you know, an arranged marriage in Boston or Cambridge when she, after she got to from Greece to Boston, and um, my grandfather was an alcoholic, and he beat her up. And my wow. father, during World War II, when he got his two-week furlough, he had to come back to Boston. He couldn't go to Europe with his buddies and, um, you know, make sure that his father would stop beating up his mother. I mean, wow. you know, my, yeah, so it was, you know, she had a tough life, I, but it's, it's, it's a story, you know, that a lot of people live through, unfortunately, you know, she wasn't able to choose who she married and she was married off. Right. It still happens all over the world today. Um, so, yeah, her, you know, but she photographed us all the time. I have a picture of also a picture of her sitting on the front steps of her house where I live now. So that's wow. kind of it. Yeah. That's a you full know. circle moment. Exactly. Amazing. My father bought that house for them. And, um, you know, because they lived in, you know, poverty and my father, he brought the family out of poverty. And after World War II, uh, the GI Bill in the, in, the, in the United States helped 
the GIs go back to the university. He got two degrees, a law degree and a um, business degree. Wow. And he bought houses for the family, for us and for wow. them. And so he, you know, he took full advantage of, um, of all of those programs, which wow. really helped. Yeah. Wow. So special. Yes. And then after I finished my book, Al Sol in 2008, I had a 100 year old aunt. It was her, my grandmother's sister. And she was still in touch with the family in Mitilini. And I said, okay, we got to call them and you've got to tell them I'm coming because I figured, you know, she was a hundred years old. She wasn't going to last that much longer. Right. So uh, I needed the contact and she made the contact for me. And I reconnected with that uh, little girl in the purple dress, by the way. And um, yeah, I've been, I, I saw her for over 10 years until the pandemic actually and she's about 10 years younger than me. And we actually share the same name. Wow. I know, right? <laughs> what a moment. So, you know, when I think about it, I have a lot of uh, crazy family moments like that. So I mean, that's so special, you know, embrace it. Like, I, I think that's amazing. And it sounds like it was really your grandmother that was maybe the inspiration without knowing it at the time. And this, your cousin as well. Exactly. And just that purple dress was gifted dress. to me by a, a cousin in the United States. Like so. oh <laughs> this dress. It's like the, the movie The Traveling Pants. I can't remember yeah. what it's called, but this is the traveling purple dress. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Wow. I, I love that dress. I, I I have to tell you, I I can still see it. Wow. Where is it now? Yeah, somebody else is use, is wearing it or whatever, you know, some young child. Or some refugee, you know, a lot of refugees fled Syria and they ended up in Lesbos in Mitilini. So, um, and that's why cousins were are, and they were very welcoming, very welcoming. You know, I, I yes, I saw hospitality and friendship to strangers as a virtue. You said it's hospitality to strangers. So mm -hmm. because it it's all it all has to do with Zeus and may reappear in a person like myself, and so you don't know if it's Zeus. So if I show up to your house. I am immediately offered food and, and drink that water or wine or whatever, you know? Um, and it's true. You cannot get out of somebody's house without eating and drinking. It's really kind of scary after a certain point. <laughs> that is so funny. This is making me want to travel. Photojournalism has taken you across the world. Can you talk to us about your love for remote destinations? Well, you know, it, it started when I went to Greece, first of all, because that was a remote destination mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, my family came from. And um, I understood the language and um, I understood the culture. And when I got there, all of the people looked familiar to me because they looked like my cousins back in Boston. So I felt an, an immediate kinship mm -hmm. with the Greeks, of course. And then I go to Mexico and um, because I was investigating, I just wanted to photograph in these villages. I mean, it was a lot harder than it sounded, you know, I, so it took me years and I had to learn Spanish, which I did. And that really helped me because then I was able, I would get assignments from the Ford Foundation and Continental Airlines to do work in, in Latin America because I spoke Spanish and they knew me from Boston. And unlike today, they did not have a, a, a lineup of photographers they could they could use in country. 
mm-hmm. in Mexico or in Guatemala or in any of those countries. Likewise, I was sent to Cameroon, West Africa by um, this outfit called, now I can't remember their name, uh, but I was sent there to photograph an American nurse who was uh, working to eradicate intestinal parasites. She had wow. been there as a Peace Corps volunteer and stayed on Earthwatch Institute. That's who sent me. And I had worked for them in other countries in Paraguay. And so wow. they knew that I could, even though I didn't speak, actually for that trip, I studied uh, French before I made it. And then I went there and I, I was invited back by the King to photograph some more. And they made a mud hut museum and they wow. put my photographs and other artifacts in there. Yeah, it was really great. Congratulations. Amazing. <laughs> the King. I know, <laughs> I know right? So the King. Yeah. yeah, it was. That's a big was. deal. It is a big deal. You know, I'd go back in a second, except like it's really rough there now in Boko Haram and COVID and uh, mm-hmm. but I have so many friends there and one of my guys who helped me and who is a the you know a, a just very close to me he named his firstborn daughter after me wow I know which is really weird <laughs> <laughs> so special I know it's amazing. so special it is amazing wow. you know um, absolutely amazing I mean it's a reflection of who you are as a person I don't know about that, but I'm telling <laughs> that you, you have these just, deep connections. Yes, yes, meaningful I do. connections. It's amazing. Yes, those connections last a lifetime. They do. I, I have these. I have so many children all over the world. I don't have any biological children, <laughs> but I have adopted children everywhere, and I'm a godmother to so many children, wow. literally, figuratively, and otherwise. Um, wow. Yeah, it's really been a beautiful thing for me. So, um, and then, yes, I had assignments and I also went on my own dime and my own time, which I think is, you know, something to note, you know, if you want to do something, you just have to do it. And I mean, you know, today I would tell people, I don't know that photography is the way to earn a living when about 30 years ago. Yes, I made a very good living and I had a good career. And I don't know that one can do that today um, only because with so many iPhones and smartphones out there. Right images can be made kind of easily you know it's not you don't have to have a lot of um skill to use a camera you know it'll do auto everything for you so then the only thing you really need to know how to do is see and that does take some something but uh, often people don't care about that anymore so mm-hmm. i would say if you want to make photographic stories and images you really have to have another way to earn a living yeah today not then Back then it was, so if I were teaching, that's what I would, in the university that I would tell, I I did start telling my students that towards the end of my tenure in the universities, um, because I needed them to be prepared Mm -hmm. for the real world, I guess that we know today. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, they're, 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 they're drowning in debt and and student loan debt. This is a, you know, another issue. Yes, yes. One of my questions for you was, how can there be more opportunity for artists in the world to have access to this industry, especially those who might not have schools in their backyard? They might be in a remote destination without a fabulous teacher like yourself. I'll tell you, you know, there's um, Wendy Ewald is a photographer who was awarded a MacArthur um, grant, the Genius Award, because she, years ago in 1992, she was awarded, I believe, 
and she's been doing this ever since she would go to these remote places with um, film and chemicals and cameras and show the children how to make photographs Mm -hmm. and how to photograph their dreams and how to photograph each other. And, you know, I, I started doing that in the villages in Mexico, bringing old iPhones and I would have classes in these in the villages and we'd we'd um also teach the children yeah. how to photograph and or and I used to I was a Fulbright scholar in Mexico and every day um in the afternoon I would teach the kids English you know they, they were young and I mean it was fun you know it wasn't exactly a structured class but the idea was to you know share my um my language also share what I know mm-hmm. you know that was Point. I was using film at that time and it was just the start of digital photography and I was um, teaching that there also to one of the um, young men in the village and the anthropologist with whom I was working. Wow. So uh, today I think you know we should all save our iPhones and strip them of all of our information and um, give them to other you know people to use to um, document their lives and teach them how to save their images if not to the cloud then some other way but you know it's costly for people that's the issue but um you know they can then tell their own stories i think and i think that's really powerful if we can help other people tell their own stories i would just i know that is my next goal so when when you travel or when you go to a new destination either for work or for you know a personal trip can you take us through a day in a life of your process? So talking about anthropologists, um, I have here a quote from you. I insert myself into people's lives. Anthropologists maintain distance. Can you tell us about that? Oh, yeah, because I don't. Um, anthropologists are doing a study, right? And I am just becoming, you know, at one with the family. Um, so how does that work? First, like when I went to Greece, I was with Main Media Workshops and um, we hired all of these teaching assistants. After the workshop, I continued to hire and work with these um, teaching assistants and they brought me into the communities. And then I would meet people who spoke English. And then I am a very friendly person. So I got to know a lot of people and I do talk to everybody, almost everybody. Eventually, you know, I mean, in Greece, it was very simple. Once people knew I was Greek, that was it. Mm -hmm. They invited me in and have a coffee and have lunch. Well, you can't go to eat in a restaurant. You have to eat with us every single day. You know, it was like, wow, this is incredible. I mean, it was, you know, I just couldn't understand it in a way, but there it is. And um, it was a beautiful thing. In Mexico, same thing. You know, I mean, people had next to nothing sometimes and they always broke bread, you know, with the tortilla and beans at the minimum. Mm -hmm. And um, I stayed, I persevered, I persisted. I um, knew that these were going to be long-term projects. I've never done anything under 10 years, you know? Um, Yeah. So people really know me and I really know them. And, um, um, and still, I don't know enough. This is the interesting thing. My Greek colleagues, my friends, um, and, and they're, you know, they're very, they're all educated all over Europe and the U.S. And they said to me, Stella, you are American first and Greek second. And, you know, you have shown us a romantic vision, your view from your grandparents of what Greece is, but this is not the Greek that we live. Mm -hmm. And when I, 
hear that, I'm like, oh my God, you're so right. Now I need to go back and see what Greece really looks like now that I have made this ode to my grandparents, mm-hmm. you know. But I do, I do move in. I will be going to Greece if I go this year for three months. Wow. Well, that's the maximum. Then they throw me out. You yeah. know, the visa is only three months. <laughs> I would stay longer. Uh, and then I will go to Mexico, but I'm not going to be photographing in Mexico anymore. There's this, uh, this cry about the white gaze and people um, using other subjects and not in, um, in, in photography, in the mm. art world, in the uh, academy. And I, and I think that's true now. I think when I was going to Mexico 40 years ago, um, yeah, there were no other cameras. People didn't, you know, it was all film. And if you wanted to know about Mexico, you opened a National Geographic, right? There was no internet. You didn't Google Mexico. I mean, now mm-hmm. Mexicans can tell their own stories. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's really well yes. put. I'm quite sure there are many, but has there been a standout pivotal moment for you, you know, when your life felt changed? The moment was the the nine months I worked with anthropologists in Mexico as a core Fulbright scholar. That wow. was it. That was that because that affirmed everything that I wanted to do. And then it was like, oh, okay, yeah, this is legit. It's visual anthropology in a way, you know, but it combined moment photography a la Henri Cartier-Bresson from um, Magnum Photos. He was very famous, you know, in his time and after. And my teacher, Constantine Manos, was also in Magnum, coincidentally Greek. Oh, he took me under his wing because he is Greek actually. And um, he taught me how to fill a frame and how to make images, although he never spoke to any of his subjects. And I Mm. am the exact opposite. And I consider anybody I photograph my collaborator, Mm -hmm. not a subject. And it's a distinction that I need to make because street photographers don't talk to people. They just sort of make a picture that looks good. And I want to get to know people. Yeah, I love Um, that. Yeah. You know, yesterday I just photographed a guy who was standing on his head at Muscle Beach here in um, in Venice. And um, I, I saw him from across the way and I went over and he had stopped standing on his head. I said, well, you know, I saw you doing that and the light is beautiful. Could, you know, can I photograph you, you know, make a portrait of you? He's like, sure. And then I sent him the pictures and then he wrote back to me. Oh God, I wish I had spent more time with you. These are beautiful. And I was shy. He said, I was so shy and I didn't. And I'm like, oh my God, this poor guy is so shy. You know, I, it never occurred, you know, never occurs to me that anyone's that shy. I think I'm shy, but I'm not because I, I approach complete strangers, you know, anywhere, anytime. And that's not shy, you know? But he looked really good. That was the thing. You know, he was standing on his head. The light was perfect. And I've been looking around. I'm trying to change my way of photography. Isn't that interesting? I don't know what I'm doing right now. So I'm in a um, a lull, which is also an important thing for people mm-hmm. to know. You know, um, it's like a writer's block, but a photographer's block. And I'm blocked. So what do, what do you do to work through those moments? Leave the house, get on my bicycle, go to the beach, lock my bike, walk around and just look. And that's what happened with this guy. Wow. You know, I sat on a bench. I was looking at the beautiful light and then he was standing on his head and I'm like, oh my God, what a beautiful body. And then the light was beautiful. And then it was not a picture that I would ordinarily make. It's too simple. I like to have a lot of elements in my pictures. And then he stopped standing on his head or what a handstand, whatever. And so then I um, just said, hmm, 
I'm just, just going to go over and talk to him anyway. Why not? Yeah. He can just throw me out, right? He can just say no. I mean, the thing about talking to people is they have agency. They can change, say, no, thanks. I don't feel like it, right? Yeah. I love what you said about every person you photograph is, is a collaboration. Yes. Now, now it is. When I first started, it still was because if I'm in somebody's house, they know I'm there. Right. So, uh, you know, often and often people would say to me, um, no, not today. You know, I haven't washed my hair yet. Right. Right. You know, things like that. And also I should mention this. When I first went to Mexico as with the Fulbright scholar, we I would go around with the anthropologists and we would photograph weddings and um, quinceañeras and we would go in, in advance and ask permission to do it. And they would give permission. And when I would finally show up with one of the anthropologists, we'd sit in the kitchen with the donas who were cooking because that was always the best place to be. And with the food and the cooking and the big vats of food and oh my God. And they would always, always look at me and say, what gives you the right to be here? But our sons, our mm -hmm. husbands, our cousins are you know, killing themselves crossing the border to get to your country to do work that your fellow Americans won't do. Wow. You know, and it was a really good question. And I, you know, more power to those women to just stand up to me and say, hey, why do you get to be here? And they can't go or they do at great yep. personal risk, mm -hmm. you know, and I explained to them about the, the grant and how it, it's supposed to foster um, good relations between the countries. You know, I'm like an alleged ambassador because I'm not like all those other people who want to keep them out. If I didn't like Mexico, I wouldn't be there. If I didn't like Mexicans, I wouldn't be there. If I didn't, I wouldn't uh, take the trouble to learn their language, you know? Um, yes, yes. And then when they understood that after the first four months of that questioning, I, I finally was accepted. Four months it took. Four they were months. testing you saying, okay, let's see yeah. how long she stays around. And then now I'm sure you're still in contact with them. Oh my God, yes. And uh, now- now we have Facebook. So everybody's yeah. on Facebook. I can't get off Facebook because if I want to uh, stay in touch with my people in Mexico and in Cameroon, they're all on Messenger and Facebook. I know. But talking about human connection, someone who's experienced the world and the people living in it, what are your thoughts on the power of human connection and friendship and love? Oh my God, it's so important because it just lifts everybody up, right? What I'll tell you, the first time I photographed a woman who became my comadre, I, I was the godmother. I am the godmother's oh, daughter. Is that what comadre means? Yes, a comadre. Yes, it's a family member. And um, I asked her if I could photograph her. And she said, why do you want to photograph me? I'm ugly. I said, no, you're not. Wow. You're not ugly. And I realized that she didn't understand that I valued her. Mm -hmm. And I valued her life. I wanted to know more about how she lived in the village when she grew up. And she finally, years later, not years, like five years later, took me to the village where she grew up. And I used to go every year, wow. be her mother there. Yes, I know. It was a huge thing. And I was the only outsider ever to go to that village. Many have gone to the U.S. and they've stayed working and they're either here legally or illegally I'm not sure and it doesn't matter to me but they did cross the border and they've stayed and they've they have families and um but yeah I, I'm very close to that family after 35 years uh, wow. 
Yes. So she didn't understand that I value her and, and that I value all the people I get to meet because I, I'm curious about them. And, and then hopefully they'll become curious about me. And we do help each other when they see good pictures of themselves or pictures. You know, I'm not taking gotcha pictures. I'm not taking pictures to make people um, unhappy or to mm -hmm. make them bad that's not my goal that's why when people say to me i don't want to be photographed i just say okay no problem i, I move on because I, I wasn't that's not my job is to make people unhappy i mean i i'm not doing journalism now it's not like i'm at a um you know uh i'm in a war zone or anything like that you can't ask permission i'm taking mm -hmm. photographs on the beach some people don't want to be photographed that's fine no problem you know yeah. But when I show them the pictures that I make of them, they're like really happy, you know, and it, because I value them. I want to make them look good. Oh, that's so nice. So much personality and emotion are conveyed in your images. How do you think we can elicit those moments with people that cross our paths every day? Maybe strangers. Is that something we can do? Yes. You know why? I feel it every day here in Venice. Coming from Boston, people are not friendly to each other. <laughs> right. Here in Venice, I'm on my bike and everybody is, hi, good morning. Wow. I'm on the bike path. Hey, good morning. I'm, I, I can't tell you, Chelsea, how friendly people are here in Venice to me, mm -hmm. you know, and I don't know why I don't have the camera around my, you know, I, I usually don't have it slung around my chest. It's in my knapsack. And then I'll park my bike and go walk around and photograph. But I'm telling you with like my camera without, for some reason, people are just very friendly. I am shocked and they give me a big smile. And I smile back. I don't know, maybe it's, it's a to see a woman on a bike, you know, but Venice is known for bike riding, at least the bike path at the beach, but I also ride in the neighborhoods. So I don't know. So I take it you'll probably be staying in California a bit longer. Uh, yeah, well, only a month longer, and then I'm returning to Boston, oh. and I'm there, and then I hope to um, go on to Greece. We'll right. see. I, um, it really depends on, you know, a lot of things, doesn't it? It does. You know, last year I was supposed to go, and then um, Delta uh, rose, and I and that's when I made my plans to come to California. I figured, well, you know, I'll stay in the United States for, for now. Yep. And I don't regret that at all. It opened up a whole new adventure for me. And I feel really free about photographing in, in California because I'm an American and mm -hmm. it's okay, the white gaze on my fellow Americans. That's fine. Yeah. Here I am. Mm -hmm. So how has COVID shaped your art? You know, I, photography always gave me joy and yeah. I always looked for light, literally the sunlight or light, mm -hmm. it's some kind of light. And actually I rented this place, one whole wall is a um, glass garage door and I rented it on Airbnb because I knew there would be a lot of light. Oh, wow. Yes, just for that, you know, and it ended up being a great space, but then the light makes it. So um, in March, I did, re I was living in Mexico and I was um, urged to return to the United States and I did. And um, I started photographing the light in my house again, which I had always loved, but never photographed. So it was really nice wow. that I was 
documenting it because I was starting to teach online classes about like documenting this moment in your life where you're you know, at home and what are you doing? And yeah, so seeing I had, things from a completely different way. Yes, exactly. And I had seen the light. I mean, one of the things about my house that's got light all around it, there's windows everywhere and it's just wonderful. And I, I photographed the light and then, you know, we were told, okay, we could go outside and be 10 feet away with masks. And, and um, so I started going, riding my bike to the Charles river, which was named after my father, by the way, wow. according no, joking. Oh, we all, we all <laughs> like, <wow>. him. <laughs> you know, I have an affection for the river because every time I go there, yeah, it was named after. You my know, father. I was that kid when if my dad said something, I'd be like, wow, yeah. And I'd probably believe it for the next 15 years. Yes, we and... all did. But you know what? It's kind of a nice memory now, isn't it? Mm -hmm. You know, every time I go to the Charles River, it was named after my father, of course. So nice. I know. And so um, I go there and then I would go to all of the places actually we used to go to when I was growing up, Revere Beach, where I have many pictures um, that I made at the beach. And I have memories of my grandmother's um, uh, peeling hard boiled eggs and feeding me, you know, I mean, seriously, you know, I have serious memories of these places. So I have really fond memories of places with water. And that's because I'm Greek and the Greeks, you know, they fight with each other, like who spent the most time in the water in the summer? How many times did you go swimming and for how long? I'm not kidding. You know, it's a contest. Did you go swimming today? Yeah. How many times? And for how long? You know, okay. Yeah, I would like to have that fight in my family. That would be amazing to live in Greece. <laughs> yes, I'm telling you, it's wonderful. You know, you yeah. have to, they bring babies to the water, you know, at two months old, they, you know, wow. and they just, water over their heads you get them used to it. they believe in the healing powers of salt water you know and it's true I well I, I think so um yeah so I started photographing at the water and you know it became and then I called it evidence of life at the water's edge mm, wow so yeah and that was fun and um, I'm still photographing one of the reasons I came to Venice is a student of mine Sebastian Bach who's just a brilliant image maker and human being was taking my class and he started showing pictures of the skate park. And I said, Oh my God, and I've got to go there. And, um, here I am. So, you know, that's how the, um, pandemic has, um, influenced me. I, I never, I photographed in the United States to earn a living and I made my artwork outside of the United States. Curiously. So that's how that worked for me. Now I'm making my artwork in the United States. And I have to say, in a way, it's a lot weirder than being mm -hmm. outside the United States. And I love that. Yeah. You know, to me, it's, it's fascinating now to see my fellow Americans and who are they? I mean, a lot of them are very scary. We can't, we don't have time <laughs> to get into that. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> we'll have coffee when we meet in person about that one. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but I like how you put that meeting your fellow Americans, you know, understanding this country, which is yes. so diverse and has so many layers and so much beauty, but also a lot of conflict. Yes. And I guess it was always brewing underneath. There was a lot of racism for a long time that we just didn't see and it exploded, you know? Yes. Yes. This is problem. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, what is your advice 
for artists and dreamers out there to keep the momentum going through social distancing and obstacles that we face to travel these days? Well, I mean, you know, I traveled to California, so you can travel from Venice to Santa Monica. That's a, you know, you have to allow yourself the the, the idea that wherever you are is a trip. Mm-hmm. That's so <laughs> smart. You know, enjoy it for that. You know, um, I, that's what I got out of being in Boston. I rediscovered it for myself mm-hmm. and I was really happy to be there. I, the only reason I left for the winter is the winter is really brutally cold and I, the snow and the ice is really, um, difficult. Okay. So that was the reason I left. I was not unhappy being there and I was not unhappy photographing there, but I would have been unhappy in the wind, in the snow and the ice and the cold. And I think that we have to persevere. As I said, I am visually constipated right now, but that mm-hmm. doesn't mean that I stop photographing. I still have to go out and take these boring pictures or take pictures that I don't think um, say anything anymore. I think I'm that. I'm beyond what I've done and I've got to do something different. And I don't know what that is yet, but um, even just talking to you about it helps me think about it. Right. So, well, you know, I, I saw that you have done artist talks and I was looking at when the next one is. That's a good idea, but I'm considering this also part of that. Yes, yes. Well, then there you go. I'm I'm doing it now, you know, and I had to think about myself and, you know, what I'm doing. And uh, yeah, you know, and and I want it to be real. You know, I want people to understand it's not, you know, easy. You have to just, you know, but I do say persevere. I do say even in, you know, if you, if you're, you're making crappy art it doesn't matter just go out and do it it's like every day you know if you're a writer you know you have to put aside an hour and look at a blank page of paper whether or not you make anything I think I mean yeah I mean it's tough when you're trying to find the next steps it's hard I think it is and but I think you can you you grow from that too I don't think life is simple you know life and (laughs) you know it just isn't nobody there are no free lunches let me just say that right Mm -hmm. now I think everybody has a struggle even though we might not see it yes and I wanted to say that this conversation is helping me too (laughs) so thank you in in my journey I'm I'm so glad to hear that Yeah. yeah um I, I'd love to talk to you about your photography, and I'm sure you get this question and probably hate it, but what do you do to find your perfect shot? As a non-photographer, I'm sure that question is so flawed. But No, it's not. It's a really great question. Are you kidding? What, what do I do? Exactly. I was at a wedding in Mexico, and I remember thinking it's a three-day wedding. The light was really harsh outside. And so what did I do? I went inside and I followed the light, the shards of light coming through the windows onto um, a, um, a cow that was in the kitchen. I'm not kidding. You can't make this stuff wow. up. So I, and I always follow the light. I had said to myself, what should I do? Follow the, the light, light. follow <laughs> the light. And I'm telling you, it's been, a, you know, it's been with me my entire life. I live, I live for the light. And just the other day, um, we were going to the Santa Monica Pier at night uh, with my class, and it ended up being a um, a bust. But one of my students photographed the volleyball players lit at night by the night lights. And it was otherworldly. It was so surreal. And I said to him, you see, it's not about 
it's not about the the, the destination. It's about getting there, wow. you know, and I think that's the thing, right? It's not about arriving. It's about the journey that takes us there. That's why you have to get up and, and take your camera for a walk or take yourself if you're a writer for a walk and, you know, and, and make audio notes for yourself even, you know. Mm-hmm stuff like that. Um, But yes, I always take my camera out for a walk and I look for light. Those are the two things I do. And and how do you think we can trust the process? If you ever feel rushed or you feel impatient or nervous about the future, is there something that you tell yourself, just slow down, trust the process? It's one day at a time. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not a former alcoholic, but I do believe in that, (laughs) you know, one day at a time. There's nothing else because we can't control it. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can, yes, we can do a lot of things, you know, of course, but we can't, I mean, what is out of our control is out of our control and what is in our control, we must embrace that and do something about it. If it's, you know, send money to aid groups for the Ukrainians, if we need, if we can do that, whatever we can do within our power to help people, we should. And that means going to the ballot box, voting, but the things that are out of our control are out of our control. So I love that. Such a good reminder. And I'd love to ask you some of the messages that I was getting from your your website and your art. You really like to connect the past and the present. Where does that deep connection come from? It's got to come back. You know, the roots of that, the whole word, horyo, you know, meaning the village and the dandelions, right? Mm-hmm. And my grandmother's obsession with flowers and the flowers in her village, you know, and um, that whole thing has, you know, inspired everything else. Like right now, I don't have that link that you're referring Mm -hmm. to. You understand what you're saying uh, in the current work that I'm making, but um, we'll see, you know, it may come up at some point. All my other work, you're absolutely right. There is a, a, you know, a connection with the past and Maybe I'm just not seeing it right now. See, that's okay. See, when I'm in the middle of something, I don't see it. I see it in the afterwards, looking back, mm-hmm. you know, and talking about it and having these conversations and writing about it. You know, artist statements are really important things to write, or even if you never publish them or they don't go anywhere, it doesn't matter. You need a statement to, to talk about the work. Oh, I love that. Mm. That's so important. We should all be doing that. Exactly. You know, even just five lines. Wow. What is this about? Just so you you know, mm-hmm. it helps us. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Oh, well, I don't want to end our conversation. But in conclusion, how can people, you know, get involved with what you're doing? How can we follow along your journey? Ah, um, yes. Reach out to me anytime. Email, of course. I'm, I, I post all my new pit photographs on Instagram. Stella Johnson, that's it. I, I have two in-person workshops. You're right, one in Boston and one in the great state of Maine. And I don't know when yet I'm going to be doing any more online workshops. You know, Zoom is here to stay, which yeah. I'm really grateful for because I, it connects us with so many people in the way this podcast has. So please reach out to me. I would love to hear from all of you. I'm in a, I'm now, I have, I just had three back-to-back classes and now I don't have any. So I have time and I did my taxes, Chelsea. So I'm all set. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me for that energized and meaningful episode with Stella Johnson. 
Find out more about Stella's photography and upcoming workshops on her website at www.stellajohnson.com. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please hit subscribe, share with your friends, and visit us at millie.ca.